Again, if you're a guest of ours, we are especially glad that you're here. And I want to give a little plug for uh, next week. Next week, we are going to be beginning a uh, sermon series entitled Family. And I would really encourage you to be here for that. We're going to talk about dating, and we're going to talk about marriage, and we're going to talk about taking care of kids and taking care of parents and how to get along with each other when you're not sitting in a pew and everybody's watching. We're going to talk about your family. So uh, look at that for a couple weeks. So I encourage you to, to be here next week. Also, I'm glad you're here today because we've got some important things to talk about today that I hope will be encouraging and, and God-honoring as well. A while back, Martha and I were talking about a uh, situation, and I told her how I thought this situation was going to play out. And she said, no, no, it's not going to go that way. Here's what's going to happen. And, of course, that's exactly what happened, what Martha predicted. And it surprised me. And I said, you know, I never saw that coming. I never would have guessed that would have played out that way. And her response to me was, that's because you think like a man. <laughs> so what's that supposed to mean? So it's not supposed to mean anything. You just think like a man. It's not good or bad. You just think like a man. And she said it as if maybe that's a bad thing. So I said, no, wait, I, I have a sensitive side. I can think like a woman. <laughs> and Martha said, that's what all men say. But you can't. And you know what? She's right. I can't think like a woman. I can only think like a man. And sometimes that's you know, an, an excuse or a reason. Sometimes that's an explanation or an argument. Well, I'm a man. And I ran across some uh, things that men sometimes use as, a, uh, as an argument for doing things. And I thought you might be able to relate to them. And if you can't, I bet your wives can. Because I'm a man, I must hold the television remote control in my hand when I watch TV. If the thing's been misplaced, I'll look for it for two hours before I turn the television on manually. Although one time I was able to survive by holding a calculator. Because I'm a man, when I get sick, I need someone to bring me food and take care of me while I lay in bed and moan. Women never get as sick as we do, so for them it's not an issue. Because I'm a man, I can be relied upon to purchase basic grocery items at the store, things like milk and bread. I cannot be expected to purchase exotic things like cumin or tofu. For all I know, they're both the same thing. Because I'm a man, you don't have to ask me if I like the movie. Chances are, if you're crying at the end, I didn't like it. <laughs> because I'm a man, what you're wearing is fine. I thought what you were wearing five minutes ago was fine. Either pair of shoes is fine. With or without the belt is fine. You look fine. Can we please go? Now, for a lot of men, our defense is simply because I'm a man, which is really a bad defense, and it's a bad argument. But I got thinking about that as I start thinking about the, this lesson today, which I've entitled Because I'm a Christian, and I started to wonder, how often would we be able to explain our actions or to defend ourselves in a positive way by simply saying, because I'm a Christian. How many times could someone ask you, to, why, do you why do you do that? Why did you, why did you do that? Why do you act that way? Why do you talk that way? Why do you treat your spouse that way? Why do you treat your children that way? Why is that so important to you? 
Why do you spend your time and your efforts and your money the way you do? How many times could we be God-honoring and say, because I'm a Christian? I mean, shouldn't that be a pretty good response? Now, a lot of times people will, will hear that in a very negative way. You know, kind of a negative connotation, but shouldn't we be able to say, well, I live the way I live and I do what I do because I'm a Christian? Should be a pretty good explanation. Peter wrote this in, in 1 Peter chapter 2. But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what Peter is saying is if you're, if you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're not like you used to be. Something's happened. You've changed. God has changed you. You used to not be a chosen people. Now you're a chosen people. Peter calls us a, a royal priesthood. So as Christians, we ought to be able to answer, it's because I'm a Christian. As Christians, we ought to be predictable, shouldn't we? Shouldn't people be able to expect how we're going to ask, act, again, in a good way, a God-honoring way? Let me take that a step further. As predictable as we should be as Christians, we will never be as predictable as God is. You ever thought about that? God is completely predictable. Now, I'm not saying that God won't surprise us, because he does all the time. And I'm not saying that God won't amaze us or wow us because he does all the time. What I'm saying is, if God says he's going to do something, he's going to do it. If God makes a promise, he's going to keep it. God's never going to change the rules halfway through the game. God's never going to, we're never going to stop and say, well, where did that come from? God did not expect that. Now, what's going on here? God's never going to try to trick us. He's not going to try to... to uh, to do a bait and switch. God is constant. He is consistent. We use a Bible word and say He is faithful. If God made a promise, He'll keep it. So this morning, I want to talk about what it means if God's that predictable, if we could be that predictable, what it means to be a Christian. And I want to sort of craft my thoughts around uh, a couple verses in the first part of the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians is one of my favorite books in Scripture. Paul says this as he begins writing to this letter in churches around Ephesus, beginning in verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves. What Peter is saying is, or what Paul is saying is, the fact that you are a Christian should define you. It should define why you do what you do and why you act like you act. So this morning, we're going to focus on those three verses. And we're going to fill in three blanks because I'm a Christian. And by the way, all three of the blanks are going to begin with the same letter because I'm a preacher. And that's the way we do things. So let's see what Paul says it means to be a Christian. First, because I'm a Christian, I am blessed. 
Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. By the way, that phrase, in Christ, is a real theme of Paul in his writing. In fact, Paul's going to use that over 30 times in the book of Ephesians alone or some derivative of it. In Christ. Paul is saying in no uncertain terms, if you're a follower of Christ, you've been blessed. If you are a follower of Christ, you have been blessed with every spiritual blessing. Because I'm a Christian, I've been blessed. I'm someone who has been given the best blessings. I'm not talking about stuff. I'm not talking about possessions, although i got a lot of those too. I'm talking about the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. Peter puts it this way in 2 Peter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We have everything we need for life and godliness. God's predictable. All the things that we need, we already have if we're Christians, if we're followers of His. Why? Because I'm a Christian, because I'm in Christ. That's why I'm blessed. Because you're a Christian, that's why you're blessed. In his book, I Shall Not Want, Robert Ketchum talks about a Sunday school teacher who's teaching a group of four-year-olds. And she's talking to them about the 23rd Psalm. And a little four-year-old girl raises her hand and says, I can quote the 23rd Psalm. And the teacher was a little bit skeptical of this little girl's ability to quote the 23rd Psalm. So she said, would you like to share it with us? And the little girl said, I'd love to. And she stood up and said, the Lord is my shepherd. That's all I want. (laughs) Set back down. Now you and I know she left a little bit out of the 23rd Psalm. But she pretty well got the gist of it, didn't she? If the Lord is my shepherd, what else do I want? If God is my Father, what else do I need? Charles Spurgeon tells about a, uh, a very um, affluent businessman that he knew that was trying to help out an associate who'd fallen on hard times. And this businessman didn't want to just give the man a, a large sum of money, and he wanted to do it uh, anonymously, so what he did was send him an anonymous note with a $100 bill inside and a, and a note that said, and more to follow. The next week, the gentleman got another anonymous letter. There was another $100 bill inside and another note that said, and more to follow. The third week, fourth week, fifth week, this guy kept getting the same you know, envelope, the same $100 bill, and the same note, and more to follow. Obviously, it didn't take long for him to realize the joy that he could receive by that envelope and the joy that he would receive by that promise. This isn't all. There's more to follow. Think about this. Every single blessing that we have from God, and he's the giver of good and perfect gifts, every single blessing comes with that same message. And more to follow. It's not a one-time thing. God says, I forgive you of your sins, but there's more to follow. I've adopted you as a child of mine, but there's more to follow. I give you grace upon grace, and more to follow. I hold you by my righteous right hand, but there's so much more 
to follow. The blessing is from God aren't a one-time blessing. Because I'm a Christian, I'm blessed. I'm not sort of blessed. I'm not kind of blessed. I'm not sometimes blessed. I'm blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Peter says, I have everything I need for life and godliness. Well, not only am I blessed because I'm a Christian, I'm blameless. Look at Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. I'm not only blessed, I'm blameless. If you're a child of God's, you're not only blessed, you're blameless. Now, I don't mind talking about being blessed. It's easy to wrap my mind around. It's a little bit more difficult for me to think about being blameless. You know why? Because I know me better than you know me. And I don't see myself as blameless. I want to be blameless. I'm trying to be blameless. But I know who I am. And I know what I do. Several years ago, Martha and I signed up for an exercise class. The teacher said, when you come to class, be sure and wear some loose-fitting, uh, comfortable clothing. I turned to Martha and said, if I had any loose-fitting, comfortable clothing, I wouldn't be taking this exercise class. <laughs> I know what I want to be, but I'm still eating you know, ice cream at night. That's not who I am. I want to be blameless. I know that. But that's not who I am. No one has ever identified me as blameless. People don't see me as blameless. You don't see me as blameless. I don't see myself as blameless. And yet, don't miss what Paul says here in verse 4 of Ephesians chapter 1. Paul's saying, my identity isn't established by the people around me. And my identity isn't established by myself. My identity is established by God. Who does God say I am? How does God see me? Read the whole verse. For He chose us in Him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in His sight. In His sight. This answer to, to who I am kind of begins with whose I am. Well, how can I possibly be blameless in His sight? I mean, that, that, that makes even less sense. Because God knows me better than I know myself. There's absolutely nothing that I've ever done, said, or thought that God doesn't know about. I can't hide anything from God. How can I be blameless in His sight? Remember I mentioned that one of the themes of uh, Paul in the book of Ephesians is that phrase, in Christ. God's perspective isn't my perspective. God sees things and understands things that I don't see and I don't understand. And I think the reason why God says, I, I view you as blameless, is because God understands the power of the cross. And God understands the power of the blood of Jesus. I think I do, and I'm trying to, but I don't understand it like God does. I don't understand sin and forgiveness and grace and, and, and the blood and the sacrifice. I don't understand the cross the way God understands those things. And God says, because of the power of the cross, because of the power of the blood of Jesus, I see you as blameless. 
Paul would say this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. We proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. In fact, Paul will go on and say that he struggled with all his energy to present everyone perfect in Christ. Paul says, if you know his writings, he says, you know, on my own, I'm the wretch that the song talks about. On my own, I'm, I'm the chief of sinners. But in Christ, I'm blameless. And in Christ, I'm perfect. Not because of what I've done, but because of the power of the cross. The power of the, the, the blood of Jesus. Now, the Apostle John certainly would agree. John says in 1 John 1, we walk in the light as he is in the light. We have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all wrongdoing. Because I'm a Christian, I'm blessed. Because I'm a Christian, I'm, I'm blameless. And then finally, because I'm a Christian, I belong. I belong. Verse 5, Ephesians 1, In love, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. We've been adopted by God. What that means is God didn't get stuck with us. What that means is that God didn't say, well, I'll take Him, because I guess I have to. Paul will use words like chosen and handpicked. God claimed us. Because I'm in Christ, I've been adopted, I've been chosen. Because I'm a Christian, I belong. And I think sometimes we fail to realize how desperately people want to belong to something, somewhere, somehow. It's one of the, the, the most basic human felt needs is to have a feeling of belonging, a place where we fit. Think about this. God says, because you're a Christian, because you follow Jesus, you don't just belong somewhere. You don't just belong to something. You belong to me. And you belong with me. It's a lot of clubs, a lot of organizations, a lot of places we could fit, a lot of places we might belong. I can't think of anywhere I want to belong more than family God. God says, you belong to me and you belong with me. This is home. This is where you fit. This is where you're supposed to be. Let me share one last story before we close. It's one of my favorite stories. It's very bittersweet. It's a true story. Maybe it'll sound familiar to you. The drunk who was admitted to Bellevue Hospital in January of 1864 was a charity case. Like hundreds of others before him and hundreds of others after him. Just a bum from the Bowery. One of the worst slums in New York. The details of what happened that cold morning were a little bit unclear. The nurse who took care of this gentleman had seen thousands like him before and she'd see thousands like him afterwards. He was admitted with a, a slash to his throat. But I wonder would she have treated that man any differently? Would the doctors in the hospital have treated him any differently had they known his identity, had they known who he was? They probably would have. 
His recent past was nothing like his earlier years. The Bowery had become a dead-end street to an incredible life, but that was all over. The 25-cent-a-night hotel was a place where he called home, a filthy room. Like everyone else who called that place home, he lived to drink. He was a drunk. And that morning, early in the morning, he stumbled to the bathroom. He, he fell over a wash basin. It shattered. Hit his head on, on the way to the floor. Cut his throat open. He was drifting in and out of consciousness. A neighbor heard the commotion, came, found him lying in his own blood. A doctor was called. Not a real doctor, actually. The doctor was a drunk himself. He'd lost his license years ago, but he was the only one who would come and make house calls to a slum like that. He stitched his throat up with some black sewing thread and a sewing needle that he'd borrowed from a woman a couple doors down the hall. And that was all he was going to do. They put him in the paddy wagon, dropped him off at Bellevue Hospital, where he drifted in and out of consciousness, languished for four days, unable to eat, and finally died completely alone, still unknown. In fact, it wasn't until his body was in the morgue that someone discovered who he was. When they scraped his belongings together, all he had was a ratty old coat. In one pocket was 38 cents. In another pocket was a scrap of paper with five words written on it. Dear friends and gentle hearts. Sounds almost like the words of a song, doesn't it? Dear friends and gentle hearts, that nobody really cared. Why in the world would a forgotten drunk carry around a line of lyric in his pocket? Maybe it was because he thought he still had it in him. Maybe it was because that derelict with the body of a bum still had the heart of a genius. For once upon a time, Long before his tragic death at the early age of 37, this man wrote the songs that made the whole world sing. Before he was homeless, before he was penniless, before he was at the, the end of the line, he wrote songs like, Oh, the sun shines bright on my old Kentucky home. He wrote way down upon the Suwannee River, far, far away. He wrote Camp Town Races, Oh, Susanna, Beautiful dreamer. But no one would ever sing the last song that Stephen Foster wrote, Dear Friends and Gentle Hearts. The biographer wrote this. Stephen Foster died longing for the America that he wrote of. Longing for the opportunity to love and to be loved. Longing for some place, any place, to belong. And again, I think we sometimes fail to realize just how many people long for the same things. Not people that are just down on their luck. I mean, people that the world would see as very successful long for somewhere, anywhere to belong. And let me say this to those of you who are visiting, for that matter, those of you who are regulars. If you walk out those doors today, and on the way home you think to yourself, you know, I don't think I can fit there. I don't think I could belong in that church. Then we have really missed being the kind of church that God's called us to be. Because in Christ, this is a place where people fit. In Christ, this is a place where we belong. 
Let's wrap up where we began. All of those blessings, all of those things found in Christ. It's where I want to be. How do I get in Christ? Paul writes in the book of Romans chapter 6, don't you know all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death. And he goes on to talk about Jesus' burial and resurrection and our participation in that, in baptism, to live a brand new life, very different from the life that we were living, very different from the creation that we were before. Then Paul would write in the book of Galatians chapter 3, you're all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, have been clothed with Christ. How does a person get in Christ where those blessings are? Paul says you're baptized into Christ. How does a person stay in Christ where all those blessings are? If we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, but we really don't understand the power behind that. But the blood of Jesus continually cleanses us from all wrongdoing. Because I'm a Christian, I'm blessed. And so are you. Because I'm a Christian, I'm blameless. And so are you. Not because of what we've done or haven't done, but because of the power of the cross. And because I'm a Christian, I belong. I don't just belong to a club. And I don't just belong to some organization. I belong to the family of God. For today, for tomorrow, and for the rest of eternity. I belong in the family of God. I've been adopted as a child of His. This morning, Bobby's got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. If you've got something on your heart that you'd like the body here to be praying for, we'd love to do that. Maybe come to a point in your life and say, you know, I'm not in Christ. I want to do something about that. If we can minister to you in any way, there's going to be some people here at the front of the auditorium. Come to the front and let us know.